You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and it's time for the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Cyril's Avenue, Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. F-O-U-R Paws, A-C, dot com. After the NPR headlines and local weather, we'll have this week's edition of Brave Hearts, and I'll be talking with Amber Jo Manuel, Executive Director of the Center for the Arts, about what their program looks like for the next few months and their fundraising efforts. Also, we'll have Molly Fisk with some special poetry for Christmas. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting this week's edition of Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines, followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she'll try again Monday to approve a measure that would provide $2,000 in direct coronavirus relief payments. President Trump, it seems, flipped the script by initially putting forth the idea. As NPR's Claudio Grisales reports, House Democrats are the ones in favor of Trump's terms. House Democrats tried to get the plan approved with a quick voice vote on Thursday, but Republicans blocked it. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and Michigan Democrat Debbie Dingell said the GOP should agree to it. Dingell also took aim at President Trump. It is not a silent night. All is not calm. For too many, nothing is bright. And for too many, they are not sleeping peacefully. Now, Speaker Pelosi says she'll ask for a roll call vote on Monday to put lawmakers on the record. The Senate is not expected to take up the measure. Claudia Grisales, NPR News, Washington. Britain and the European Union managed to smooth over some of the final contentious details, reaching a post-Brexit trade agreement before time ran out. The deal averting what would have been a chaotic conclusion to the year and possibly snarled cross-border trade. The breakthrough came today after months of negotiations, which narrowed the differences between the two sides to just three key issues, fair competition rules, mechanisms to resolve future disputes, and fishing rights. The U.K. is due to leave the EU's economic structure January 1st. A months-long NPR investigation has found the New Jersey Department of Health's decision to evacuate a senior living facility in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic was rushed and flawed. NPR's Dina Temple-Raston reports the move led to the deaths of nearly half the people they evacuated. An NPR investigation found that when New Jersey officials ordered the evacuation of St. Joe's Senior Home in Woodbridge back in March, it failed to sufficiently take into account the fragility of the evacuees and how complicated it would be to transfer them to a new facility 45 minutes away. Officials also gave short shrift to possible alternatives, spending, for example, only two days looking for more staff for the home. The consequences of the evacuation decision were stark. Nearly half the 78 people loaded on the ambulance buses on March 25th died a short time later, some within days. Experts on aging told NPR that the stress of the evacuation was undoubtedly a contributing factor. Dina Temple-Raston, 
NPR News. California's reached an uncomfortable milestone in the coronavirus pandemic. The nation's most populous states are passing 2 million coronavirus cases heading into the holidays with expected travel despite warnings from health officials likely to boost that number even further. Deaths per day from COVID-19 in the U.S. have reportedly topped 3,000 over the past two weeks. On Wall Street today, the Dow was up 70 points. You're listening to NPR. And taking a look at the weather, first here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, looks like we'll have a low of 45, high of 53 tomorrow, rain tomorrow evening through Sunday with highs in the upper 40s. Sacramento, low of 39, high of 57 tomorrow, rain tomorrow, partly cloudy on Saturday and Sunday with highs in the low 50s. And in Truckee, a low of 7 tonight, high of 42 tomorrow, rain and snow tomorrow and Saturday with highs in the upper 30s. Welcome to this edition of Brave Hearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Brave Hearts. Hello, everybody. This is Betty Louise, and I'm happy to say that I'm here with my partner, William Wallace. And we have a couple of really interesting people to catch their story, uh, Gail and David. They both have a story about homelessness. My name's David Ware, and uh, I have the opportunity here to share parts of my story and uh, meet some wonderful people and my homeless story begins in um, the summer of uh, 2017. I was married, a couple of dogs, had a good job. I was a, a operations manager for a local contractor in Sacramento, and uh, I was making you know close to 100,000 a year. Because my one of my tasks was watching the business, I started noticing money going out, and uh, it was going out to a place that I couldn't track it nor tell the the, uh, the owners. Long story short, the owner had a uh, online gambling problem and an oxy addiction, and he was spending the money and not paying the crews. I had a discussion with him on a on a Thursday, and it was like, okay, this is how we're going to address it. And we said and talked about the future and all of those things. And Friday morning, 6 a.m., he came in, handed me my check, and said, I don't need you anymore. Okay, well, let's see, um, about six months ago, uh, I had uh, bought a brand new truck. So now I am have a, a payment, which I could well afford at the time. Now I don't have any income. I'm, uh, you know, I'm in my 60s, and uh, the prospect of getting jobs at other places that would afford me the kind of money that I needed to make based on how my life was built. My homelessness is both physical from uh, bad decisions I've made and the way life comes at you to physical disease, which was uncovered during this whole process that I didn't know that I had, which was uh, uh, hepatitis C that we've narrowed down to 
1977 was around the time when I would have caught it, and uh, it went undiagnosed the whole time. So the hep C sitting in my body throughout my life, and uh, I started to have some issues internally, and my found out I have severe cirrhosis of the liver, which automatically they tagged as alcoholic. Well, I don't, I'm not a drinker, not a smoker. So I've had a fight with the medical community about that because they keep wanting to put me back in alcohol-related cirrhosis, and it's not it was caused by the hep C. So I'm in need of a liver transplant. Um, I'm being seen up here uh, at Sierra Nevada Gastro, and uh, the, the doctor is doing a wonderful job. He knows what he's doing, and but I've just got to allow the process to work and hope I live long enough to get to the point where treatment's going to have an effect. I've been living in my truck. Uh, there's the level of homelessness that I've experienced has uh, not, not been me necessarily physically on foot in the street. But if you have a vehicle, I mean, and you're homeless, it's still you do still deal with the same things. Um, not having any place to park at night and uh, getting rousted out by the cops. And, and because I have, a, I have a terminal disease, I need to stay near a restroom that's open 24 hours. Those with COVID pretty much disappeared. And I know this probably hasn't answered the question of uh, why I'm still homeless. I have a $600 car payment and uh, $100 a month for insurance. So I only get $961 a month in my Social Security retirement. Uh, if you do the math, it doesn't come out to be enough to, uh, to live on. I mean, that's even before food or shelter or anything else is accomplished. So I've been doing the best I can to try and put myself in a position where there's assistance that could help me get beyond this because I've got over a thousand days in, uh, in homelessness and I'm 64 years old today. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. I'm speaking with Amber Jo Manuel. She is the executive director of the Center for the Arts in Grass Valley. Welcome to KVMR, Amber Jo. Thank you for having me, Paul. Happy holidays. Well, thank you. Well, this is a year like no other year. I, I think the term 2020 hindsight has got new meaning to it because it's been a tough one, especially for the performing arts. But by golly, you're still there and still moving forward. Why don't we start our conversation with just a general uh, talk, uh, uh, tell our listeners about what the Center for the Arts can do right now in this situation and what you're up to. Yeah, with our with the current mandates that are in place, we still have our gallery open, um, so folks can still see the gallery. Uh, we had one of the most popular shows we've ever had with Denise Way's retrospective on the Yuba River. So many people came to see that show. She sold a lot of art. Um, so I think that was fabulous for the community to at least be able to come and share and look at art on the walls and enjoy um, some beauty. So that 
that was really inspiring to see. And our next show coming up is Marsha Wolf, um, a really talented abstract artist. And so people should come check that out January 8th to February 12th. And uh, are you doing any virtual shows at this time, uh, performances? We we are. We have a New Year's Eve show. If you guys have seen that, the Gold Souls, who are a funk band from um, Sacramento, and they're super fun. They will be bringing in the new year. And because it is virtual, you can play it at whatever time you want. I know some of us maybe go to bed at 10 p.m. So you know what? Just have your new year whatever time you want to and play that virtual show. That's like one of the advantages, right, for this new world. <laughs> I've produced lots of New Year's Eve shows, and in my time, um, midnight is getting to be later and later than what it used to be. I know, right? Like, I think I didn't make it to midnight last year, so I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll play the New Year's Eve show a little earlier. <laughs> but it, it, it's fun, and they were, and they're a super fun band, so that'll be great. And then we have, um, we're, we've been doing virtual shows two a month. And we're really trying to support like area artists and it's great for them too, because they get to have this professionally recorded um, promotional material that we, we give them full rights to use everywhere. So that really helps. A lot of artists don't have a professional recording um, to promote themselves. And so we're providing that to all of the local artists and we have honey of the heart coming in um, uh, January, January 15th. And this is all done on the uh, main stage at the Center for the Arts. It is all done on the main stage. I really like it to be at the center when we do these virtual shows, if we can, if it works for the artist, because then we get to employ all of our wonderful stage technicians and crew that would otherwise have no jobs at all. So let's provide jobs for some of the stage crews that are in this city and that do such a fantastic job. So if the band is local and they can come and, and record it on our stage, that's why, what we'd like to do. Well, th this whole COVID thing couldn't have come at a worse time. Of course, it would have been bad at any time, but the center was up and raring to go. And I think you did, what, one show before things had to shut down. That was in, uh, in March, I think. Yeah, it was March 13th. Uh, the governor had just said that we could have 250 in a gathering. So we very quickly pivoted and and cut the sales for the Tinsley Ellis show. And we just allowed, actually, we allowed less than 250 in the building. And, and we did that one show and then it was over. <laughs> so it was a bummer. <laughs> I know I was scheduled to uh, come in there with my uh, Leonard Cohen show, I think, the next week or something. And we had it scheduled three different times at the center, and um, uh, so be it. <laughs> yeah, we just, it's so hard to predict. We have now rescheduled shows about three times. Um, but it seems like with talk of the vaccine, you know, artists were very quiet the past six months. Like, artists have just been dead quiet. And then with the talk of the vaccine and things rolling out, um, they've started to kind of raise their head and go, hey, what about a show in the fall? What about a show in the fall? Most people want to schedule for fall of 2021. Um, so we're hoping that that will be a reality. The summer is still a big question mark because we just don't know timing of everything. So we're not quite sure what to plan for in the summer. So we're a little bit hanging out. Um, 
But what the center is doing right now is, you know, we want to make it to the finish line for sure. We put so much work into this building and we want to make it to the end goal. So we're doing some financial planning to figure out, okay, like if we can't open it all until the fall of 2021, how much do we need to keep going? And so we're in a membership drive to kind of help us meet those goals. Um, and we wanted to remind people of that because our membership drive goes till December 31st. And you know, you could be, be a member or you can just make a straight donation to our Art Center Emergency Fund, whichever you prefer. And it really helps us to plan for the future. We need to know what can we plan for 2021? How can we stretch it? the furthest possible to get to um, to get to the fall. And so really this membership drive, it, it's really going to help us be prepared for whatever the future brings. So we're kind of leaning a lot on this membership drive to help us figure out, okay, what is 2020 going to be and how can we plan for it? Well, there is, there is, uh, this will end at some point. And uh, I, I refer to it, to be, you know, I talk to it. Well, when the smoke clears from all of this, we will be back, and the center will be back. But I, I, I guess what you're stressing is, you need help in the interim because you don't have your normal funding um, sources coming in, which is producing successful events. So I think what you're asking is for people just to kind of, kind of, uh, uh, pay some attention to that and support the venue and keep things going. Yeah, support the venue and help keep us going. And um, we we are so proud of what we've built and what we have put together. Um, we really do believe that this is going to be the crown jewel of the community. It is sounds beautiful. It looks beautiful. The artists that have been on our stage, it's so touching when we do one of those virtual shows because some of the people haven't been together since March um, or they haven't played, you know, like when we had Alistair Frazier a couple weeks ago, like he hadn't played with Natalie um, Haas on a stage, like with microphones and all of that kind of thing in months. And so it was so touching to see people react to what we've built and the quality of the experience. And the artists are so happy with it that it makes us like, it makes me a little more sad because I'm like, oh, I want to share it with the community so badly, but it's not yet. Hopefully soon. Um, uh, once again, can you share with our listeners how people can find out more about the uh, membership, the, the fundraising drive, and, and keep up with the news from the center in general? Sure. Um, at our website, centerforthearts.org, you should you should go on there. Make sure you're signed up to get our newsletters. Um, we still send out a newsletter every Thursday, and it informs you of what's going on in the gallery. Um, it informs you of what virtual concerts we have happening. We are doing a series called In Conversation With, and it will be Sundays at 4 p.m. every Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. And the topics are nature, lifestyle, art, and food. So we have engaged experts from all over the community to talk. You're going to be able to hear discussions with them and ask questions. So it's an interactive discussion on Zoom. And our very first one is Mark Halperin with the Ayurveda College. 
So he's going to introduce you to Ayurveda and what it means and some of the things that the college does that maybe you don't know. And you get to ask questions, which is really great. One thing that's new in the new year with membership, our members will be allowed to have access to all this content at no cost. So it is free to members. The In Conversation With series, um, our virtual music series, all of that is free to members. And then there will be a small online ticket for non-members. So that's one of the great benefits of choosing to become a member right now. Well, Amber Joe, that's about all the time we have. And, th- and thank you very much for speaking with KVMR and Happy New Year uh, from KVMR to you and all the staff. And and let's just head into the new year with Vim and Viga, if I may quote John <laughs> Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, and we can't wait to see everyone at a live concert sometime in 2021. Thank you. You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30, we have this week's edition of Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Molly Fisk with some special poetry for the Christmas season. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Hello, dear listeners, and happy Christmas Eve. Tonight I'm not reading you an essay, but three poems, one about America, one about quarantine, and one that you will all remember, some of you by heart. I love Campbell McGrath's poem, American Noise, because it is a list, and it shows how well a list in good hands can move from a motley and cluttered collection of disparate things to something profound. We are having a hard time in America, but don't forget about the many things we know and feel in common, too. American Noise Boxcars and electric guitars, ospreys, oceans, glaciers, coins, the whisper of the green corn kachina, the hard sell, the fast buck, casual traffic, nothing at all, nighthawks of the 24-hour donut shops, maples inflamed by the sugars of autumn, aspens lilting sap yellow and viridian, concrete communion of the clover leaves and interchanges. Psalms, sorrow, gold mines, zydeco, alfalfa, 14th Street, sheets of rain across the hills of Antietam, weedy bundles of black-eyed Susans in the vacant lots of Baltimore, smell of eggs and bacon at Denny's outside Flagstaff, 4 a.m., bindle stiffs, broken glass, the solitary drifter, the sprinklers of suburbia, Protest rallies, rocket launches, traffic jams, swap meets, the home shopping network hawking cubic zirconium, song of the chainsaw and the crack of the bat, wheels of progress and mastery, tugboats, billboards, foghorns, folk songs, pinball machines and mechanical hearts, 
Brave words spoken in ignorance. Dance music from the Union Hall. Knots of migrant workers, like buoys among waves, or beads in the green weave of strawberry fields around Watsonville. The faithful touched by tongues of flame in the Elvis cathedrals of Vegas. Wildflowers and anthracite, smokestacks and sequoias, avenues of bowling alleys and flamingo tattoos, car alarms, windmills, wedding bells, the blues. This next poem, Rare Company, is by me a couple of weeks ago. It mentions my favorite ex-boyfriend's nephew, Nico Bailey, in case some of you know him. Rare Company At home, looking out the same damn windows, sun on what's left of the yellow leaves, and one pair high up, revealed, that this morning I was so sure must be a kingbird's breast, its lemony hue. How still it was on the branch in the early light, me scrubbing my face at the bathroom sink and applying lotion, my glasses stranded in the kitchen. What is it doing there, motionless? How wonderful to have this view. How lucky it's a sunny day again. Frost on the grass. The world asunder, but nothing the matter on this half acre. Odd for a bird to sit rooted there this long, and only one who tend to flock. Their games of tag across my roof and into the oaks and back, more entertaining than TV. At this point in the pandemic, I'm so lonely I'll talk to chairs. A bird stopping by on its way to winter in Baja is rare company, even though imaginary. Wings that lifted over Alberta and Coeur d'Alene skimmed the Cascades. Four ounces of heartbeat and instinct. Brave traveler. I swear, if we conquer this invisible foe and can move unworried among our kind, I will see Paris again. I will go to Prague to watch the swans, they say float on the Voltava. Because I can't live without light, I built windows into every wall of every room in this house, even the closet, where I have looked into the arms of a purple mountain ash we planted for shade, a teenager digging the hole deep enough, and me holding its trunk straight as he tamped the root ball in rock phosphate, and something else we need for the local clay soil that escapes me now. And where is Nico, anyway? He grew up rebellious, but married a girl from Poland, settled himself down. If I don't die, I'll visit Krakow, too, in their honor. After watching that tree, bud, flower, leaf out, cool the house all summer, and color up just weeks ago. Its branches are bare now. I'm crazy from solitude. My French is lousy, and I don't speak Polish or Czech. But I swear, if I survive, I will walk on foreign streets again, and laugh out loud, and talk to every stranger. And here is Clement Clark Moore's A Visit from St. Nicholas, written in 1823, a poem whose formal name you may not recognize, since everyone mostly knows it by the first line. There's a word he uses twice, coursers, that we don't much hear anymore, which means fast-running steeds, and is usually applied to horses. This is an exception. 
I send you all lots of love and wish you good health and patience. A visit from St. Nicholas. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mamma in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes did appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now, Dasher, now, Dancer, now, Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now, dash away, dash away, dash away all. As leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky, so up to the housetop the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas, too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled! His dimples, how merry! His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk, and laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Molly Fisk Observations from a Working Poet Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. 
That's it for our newscast this evening. Next up, we have this week's edition of Making Contact. And at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Have a great Christmas weekend, and thanks for listening.